Christmas time already. Do you feel like it's Christmas time already? Oh man, it's cold enough out there for Christmas. Holy cow. Hey, good morning to you, Grace. It's great to see you this morning. I am Nathan, if I haven't met you before, and I'm glad that you've come to Grace this morning. Yeah, we're in this series that we launched last week entitled Love and Hate, and it's the relationship between God and our culture and Christians. And last week we found out that Jesus addresses this issue, relevant issue to the first century and relevant issue to what's happening today in our culture with Christians. So would you turn in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 15? That's where we were last week and we'll look more specifically at some of these verses today in John chapter 15. But yeah, there really is a love-hate relationship here between God and culture and Christians. Our culture loves. We learned last week that our culture loves that which conforms to it. Our culture loves that which fits in. Our culture loves that which just goes along with our culture. And our culture hates that which does not. It hates that which does not conform to it. It hates that which is kind of countercultural or or disassimilating. Uh, Our culture doesn't like that very much. And so there's a love-hate relationship, of course. And of course, God does not love this culture, this world, this, um, this uh, the system that we live in. There definitely are two different systems. There's our world system and there's God's system. There's our world's morals, our cultural morals, and heavenly morals. Uh, there's the, the, the earthly ideas and there's Jesus' kingdom's ideas. And they're two different kind of groups. And so uh, because God doesn't fit into uh, what our world should be done. The world hates God. We read that last week from Jesus. And so how does God respond to all the hate? He responds in love, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God responds to all the hate in love by sending his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and raise from the grave, proving that he is God, and make a way for anybody who believes in this Christ and this Messiah to be able to go to heaven. So he responds with love, but God doesn't love all this cultural stuff. God doesn't love the the world system. He doesn't love our, our culture's morality. He has his own morality in heaven. And so God hates, the Bible says, all those who do evil. And so there's definitely a love-hate relationship in all this. And so the title for today is Three Reasons Why Christians Should Expect to Be Hated. And so this is really part one of two because this week and next week we're gonna look at three reasons that Jesus gives that Christians should assume that they're gonna be hated by our culture, by the world. Three reasons why there should be just an assumption that we are gonna be disliked by the world. I know you didn't come today for that message. I know you came for the message of three reasons why it's all gonna get better. (laughs) It will get better. Jesus will take care of that, but that's not now. That's gonna be in the future. As a matter of fact, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. I guess today's sermon could be called Three Reasons Why It's Gonna Get Worse Before It Gets Better, but that's a really long sermon title. So I'll give you another long one. Three Reasons Why Christians Should Expect to Be Hated. That's what it is. So today really is gonna be some things that you don't wanna hear. You know, you, there, you need to hear them, but we don't wanna hear them. There are a lot of things in life like that where we don't really want 
it, but we kind of need it. Like you get a medical diagnosis, the medical diagnosis is we got to treat this now or it's going to turn deadly. You're like, I don't want to hear that. Well, but at least it's good that you hear it now so that you can entrust it before it does turn deadly. Or your kids bring home a report card halfway through the year. You're like, I don't want to hear it and I don't want to see it. But at least it's good that they brought it home now. Now you know and you can adjust for it and uh, hopefully the grace can get better at the end of the year. Just this last week, I don't know if you read it in the news or saw it in the news. I don't watch any news, but I read a lot. And, and so this last week, they, they announced that there's this brand new blood test that with one draw of blood, two vials, they can find 50 different cancers early. Can you see that? And at first, I read the, the title of the article. I'm like, I don't know if I want that test. <laughs> I don't really know if I want to know. You know what I mean? I don't know if I want to know that. But once you read through the article, it talks about how many cancers are survivable if you can catch them soon enough and you can contain it to just the organ it was originally found in. And so there's a reason that you might not want to hear it, but you need to know it. Sometimes, you know, when we grew, we're kids and then we grow up, have you ever told your parents like things that you did when you were younger that they didn't know about? You're like, hey, mom and dad, we used to jump off the roof into the pool. And mom and dad are like, I don't want to hear that, you know? Or, hey, hey, mom and dad, we used to watch all these kinds of movies when you were gone. They're like, oh, we don't want to hear that. Hey, mom and dad, we used to tie each other to the tree and throw eggs at each other. <laughs> mom and dad's like, I don't want to hear that. Well, today's kind of like that. Today's like, I don't want to hear it, but we need to hear the things today. These are important things to know but they, they definitely are on a side that we would rather not hear. Now, the good news is there is light at the end of the tunnel. Jesus is going to bring eternal life. We've sung songs about that. Pastor John talked about that, but that's in the future. That's not now. And so we'll kind of start with this. I know it seems like an odd place to start, but we're going to start with this. Maybe you've seen this graphic at some point in time where it says this, we offer three kinds of services, good, cheap, and fast but you can only pick two. You can't have all three. All three is like the unicorn. You can't have all three. So you could pick good and cheap, but it's not going to be fast. Or you could have fast and good, but it's not going to be cheap. Or you can go the cheap and fast route, but it's no good. And so sometimes you, this could be seen in a graphic like this. I see things more like in, in, like in pictures, and so I've kind of put this in a graphic. Where we have those same three words, good, cheap, and fast. But you can't have all three. You can only pick two. So you say, okay, well, I want to pick good and cheap. So this applies to every part of the world, every industry that exists. When you pick two, the other one is excluded. So if you pick good and cheap, what is excluded? Fast. It's not going to be fast. So uh, you pick your home renovation, uh, your new kitchen that you want to put in. If you want it good, if you want it quality, but you want it cheap, <laughs> you're still looking for a contractor. It's going to take forever for it to get that done. Good and in and out. In and out is good and it's cheap. But my son with some friends just last weekend waited in an hour. In an hour line in the drive-thru for a hamburger in and out. So it's good and it's cheap, but it's not fast. You're like, okay, well then I want to do fast and good. And so if you're going to do fast and good, what's excluded? 
It's not gonna, it's not gonna be cheap. It's gonna cost you. So that home renovate, the, the kitchen renovation that you want, if you want it good quality and you want it now, you might as well just hand over your firstborn and, and sacrifice them because that's the only way that you're gonna be able to afford something like that. And you're like, oh, okay, okay. So I wanna then do cheap and fast, right? So put that in like, uh, in, in food, you know? Uh, if you want cheap and you want it now, What's excluded? That's where you get Taco Bell, right? <laughs> Taco Bell is no good, but it's cheap and it's now, right? So it have, it, you do this in your kitchen renovation. If you want it now and you want it cheap, that contractor isn't going to want to permit anything because it's going to fall over as soon as he leaves, right? So this is, and if you wanted all three, that's impossible. You can't have all of them. That's the unicorn. That, that just that does not exist. You can't have all three. You have to pick only two. And so this idea fits in with the topics that we're talking about today, about God, culture, and Christians. We could essentially replace those words with the other three words, God, culture, and Christians. You can't have all three. You can only pick two. I know you maybe want all three, but you can only pick two. And so let me kind of show you, let's walk through that one. We kind of understand it in home renovation ideas, and we understand it in fast food ideas, but let's look at it from a, from a biblical idea. So you'd say, okay, well, obviously, Christians should be tied to God. So Christians should be united to God. And so if Christians are united to God, what then is excluded? The culture, the culture is excluded. And this is the way that it should be. The Bible tells us that this is the way that it should be. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. So this is the idea. When you are tied to Christ, the, the other things of the culture are alien to you because you're tied to, to God and the culture is not tied to you, so that's the thing that gets, gets removed. Another way to say it is 1 John 2.15, maybe a clearer way, do not love the world nor the things of the world. So whenever we see that phrase, the world, you remember from last week, if you were here last week, that's the word cosmos, the world cosmos. And whenever you see that phrase, it means one of three things. It either means the, the ball, the earth, the planet, the rock hanging in the universe, or secondly, it means individual people that are living on that ball, or thirdly, the culture, the morals of the people that are living on the ball. And so when First John says, do not love the world, that's not saying don't love the ball, and he's not saying do not do not love the individual people on the planet. It's saying don't love the culture. Don't love the, the worldly morals that are in competition with godly morals, the, the, the world system as opposed to the heavenly system. Don't love that. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can only pick two. You can't pick three. Either I love the Lord or I love the culture, but it can't be both. You, it's Christian in God or it's Christian in the culture. And so the way that this verse is just seen visually is like this. This is how my brain works. Okay? It's, it's like this. The culture is excluded. Okay, okay, you might know, though, of some people who call themselves Christians, and yet you could say, man, they seem to be much more tied to the culture than, than they are to God. God would probably be the one on the outs if I was to look at their life. And so the answer is yeah. There are people who call themselves Christians all of the time. And they might be tied with some sort of 
I don't know, cultural Christianity or I don't know, something like that. But God is on the outs. And the Bible describes this in James chapter 4, verse 4, when he says, do you not know that friendship with the world, friendship with the cosmos, friendship with the world system is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Notice the division. It's either Christians with God or it's Christians with culture. It's either Christians with God or it's Christians with our world system. You can't have all three. You can pick two, but you can't have all three. You have to pick. And so this verse about being an enemy of God, if you are a friend to the cosmos, is just seen like this in my brain. <laughs> this is like a picture of my brain right here, how I, how I imagine it to work out. God is on the outs and Christians are united with the culture. But the most interesting one, and the topic really for this series and the topic for today would be when culture begins to create its own God. That's where things get kind of interesting. When culture begins to create its own morality. Because our culture isn't afraid, our world isn't afraid of religiosity. Our culture isn't afraid of a higher power. Our culture isn't uh, afraid of being spiritual. That's not the problem at all. <laughs> the problem is the God of the Bible. That's the problem, the Christ of the Bible. That's where the issue is. And so when our culture begins to create a morality that is not of the God of the Bible, what happens? Who gets, who, who's on the outs? Yeah, when, when culture creates their own, God, their own God, the godly are on the outs. That's kind of an interesting idea. The Bible talks about that in some interesting ways. Romans chapter 10, verse 2 says, They, meaning the world, have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. They, they, they want to be religious. They, they, they want a, a, a spirituality to themselves, but they do that without any knowledge that comes from the Bible. And so then, so then what happens? This is the, the progression. John chapter 17, verse 14 says, I have given them, meaning Christians, your word. And the, and the world has hated them. The world hates Christians because they have God's word. And they are not of the world because these Christians are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Either you are of culture or you are of God, or culture chooses their own God, and now all of a sudden the Christians are hated. The way that this verse is seen just visually is like this. They've created their own morality. It's not a heavenly morality. It's not a heavenly system. It's not, it's not Christ's kingdom. It's a world's kingdoms. And so who's on the outs? The Christians are on the outs. And so this is the point for today that Christians and culture and God are unable, all three of them, to live in a symbiotic way. You can only pick two. You can't pick three. One is going to get excluded. One is going to be on the outs. One is going to get the short end of the stick. That's just the way that it is. And the world, because of this, is a very dangerous place for Christians. There are missions organizations in the United States that send Christian missionaries around the world, and they have entire departments that are dedicating, dedicated to protecting their Christian missionaries around the world because of violence. 
The world is a very dangerous place for Christians. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians killed every single year only because of their faith. So much so there is a curated list of the most dangerous countries in the world for Christians that is updated every single year. And I thought I'd show that list to you just so you can kind of get an idea of what's happening around the world. We'll work from 10 to 1 the 10th most dangerous place in the world for Christians is India. There's a constant pressure to renounce faith. In Nigeria, uh, this is the most violent one for Christians. In Iran, there's a daily threat of arrest. In Yemen, there's the death penalty for anybody who leaves Islam. In Eritrea, or Eritrea, however you say it, it's a country in, in Africa, there are limited human rights and a very authoritarian government that comes down hard on uh, religious sects that don't fit into their culture, which would be included in Christianity. In Pakistan, there is persecution against Christians, particularly against Christian kids, and particularly against Christian girls in Pakistan. In Libya, there is regular violence against Christians. In Somalia, Christians are high-value targets. In Afghanistan, Christianity is a death warrant. Who do you think is number one, the number one most dangerous place for Christians in the world today? Any ideas? North Korea. Yeah. 20th year in a row, North Korea is number one. And there, I, all you have to do is just like type three letters into Google and give you, you know, just pages and pages and pages of, of examples of how this is. Um, I, I keep a little bit of a, uh, I follow this a little bit, and so this is just the most recent one I had in, in my file. The title, of this uh, the title of this article is, New Report Highlights How North Korea Executes Christians and Teaches Kids They Are Vampiric Monsters. And this is just a, an article that recaps an, an entire document that was done by some uh, world organizations, and it is atrocious what happens to just Christians in North Korea. Why is it? Why does this list exist? Why are there a top 10 list of dangerous places for, um, for Christians around the world? It's simply because of this. You can only pick two. And, and the culture has chosen to go with a different God. They have chosen their own morality. They've choos chosen, our world has chosen their own system and that's not God's system. And so Christians are on the outs. That is exactly what has happened and it's going to get worse before it gets better now the good news is that it is going to get better jesus is going to take care of that in the future but it is going to get worse for christians before it is going to get better that's just the way that it is and so that's why i asked you to turn in john chapter 15 because jesus gives us three reasons why christians should expect this christians should assume that it's going to be like this and that it's going to get worse, not better. So we're going to read the entire passage here. We read it last week. This won't be a surprise to you. Let's see if you can read it now with a little bit of, uh, little bit of lens here. You're looking for three reasons why a Christian might expect to be hated. All three are in this passage. We're going to only get to one today, probably. John chapter 15, verse 18 says, If the world hates you, you know that it, the world has hated me before it's hated you. This is talking about our culture. This is not talking about the planet. 
This is not talking about individual people, the humanity on earth. This is talking about the world, the, the system, the ecosystem, the culture, the morals of our world. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it's hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, then they would keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. If Jesus didn't come, they, they would have no reason to commit the sin of of rejecting him, the, 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 the sin of, the unforgivable sin of rejecting Christ as the, the Messiah. But unfortunately, they, they did. Verse 22, uh, verse 23. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, meaning his miracles, they would not have sinned. They wouldn't have anything to reject. But now, they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Well, did you notice it? Did you notice the three? Well, today let's get to the first one at least. It's in 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 15, verse 19. This is the first one. It says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of this world, I chose you out of this world, because of this, the world hates you. The number one reason why Christians are hated is because they are outsiders. That's why. They are outsiders. The way to look at John 15 verse 19 in Nathan's brain is, is just like this. That Christians are the outsiders. They, they were assimilated, but now they've disassimilated. They, they, they were going with the system, and now they have been removed. From, they are in another world. They're another ecosystem now. They were doing the things of the world, but now they're not. They were thinking the, the way that our system thinks, and now that they are not. And so now, the, the Christians are on the outs. They're in a whole different system, a whole different ecosystem than the rest of our culture. And so because of that, the Christians are the problem. Number one reason why Christians should expect to be hated is because they are outsiders. Outsiders always get picked on. That's just the way that it is in our world. The outsiders always get picked on. That's why your kids want to wear the backpack that they want to wear to school. That's why they pick the lunchbox that they really want you to buy them is because they don't want to be the outsiders and they don't want to get picked on. That's the reason that they want the shoes that, that you want to buy that you don't want to buy. Like, those things are too expensive. You want these instead? They're like, no, mom, I'm going to get beat up if I wear those shoes. No kid wants to be the outsider because the outsider gets picked on. That's just the way it is in teenage world too. That's why your teenagers want to wear their hair the way they do or wear their clothes. The way. Don't give them such a hard time. They just don't want to get picked on. They just don't want to be the outsider. That's why they're wearing those things and having their hair like that's just That's just why they are doing that. You know, Tanya and I, we got to serve in our high school ministry for a long time here at Grace. And, and one of the things that, that we always made a point to do was to look for those teenagers that were like on the fringe. You know, 
they're like, they may not have grown up at Grace Community Church or they didn't know other people here at Grace or their family was new to Grace or the students didn't go to the same schools the rest of the students in the high school. And so Tanya and I would always kind of make a point to, to find them and try to invite them in a little bit. You know, it's much easier for an adult or, or a teenager to go and hang out with the, the outgoing crowd, the in crowd, you know, the cool crowd. It's, it's easy to do that. But th- that, that inside crowd that's very outgoing, that already has a bunch of friends at Grace Community, they don't need a, a 35-year-old buddy, you know? They don't need me. They already have their friends. But there are, there are these others that Tanya and I would look for to make sure that they didn't feel like they were outsiders, that they felt like they were being invited. So we'd always try to say hi to them first and invite them first to the things that we did so that they knew that, that we wanted them to be a part of our ministry too. And so now here I am, the pastor of Grace Community Church in Riverside, and we want the same thing. We, we, want, we don't want people to feel like outsiders. We want them to be welcomed into our church. And so those of you who have been around Grace Community Church for longer than two weeks, we're always looking out. You're not only looking to the friends that, that, that you know and the ones that you like and the ones that you know. That you're always looking out and noticing the people on the edges, the ones that you don't know, and, and inviting them in because nobody likes to be an outsider. That's just, you don't like to be an outsider. Adults don't like to be an outsider, just like kids don't, teenagers don't. Adults don't like to be outsiders. You don't like to be an outsider at work because you get passed over for promotions. You don't like to be an outsider at work because they don't clue you in on the inside jokes. Sometimes you are the inside joke <laughs> if, uh, if you are the outsider. And no one likes to be the outsider at work. I, I know what it's like to be the outsider at work. I, when I graduated from college, it was, I, I had a business degree. I had taken some extra ac- accounting classes. I had worked in an accounting office through college to help work through college. And, uh, and as soon as I graduated, the very first job that I got was working for a temporary accounting agency. So I was, I was temporary accounting, <laughs> temporary numbers nerd, you know. <laughs> and so the way that it worked is, is that as a, as a temporary uh, person in the accounting world, you would get assigned to large corporations or you'd get to a small uh, uh, monpa kind of uh, business and they needed your skill set. And so the agency divvied you up, but you, you were an outsider. Every job I went to, I was the outsider, every single one. I didn't know anybody there. I'd drive up on my first day, not know a single person at all in the entire company. And I'd have to walk up and I was the new guy like every two months, <laughs> I was the new guy. New guy, new guy, new guy, new guy. And it's brutal being the outsider. It's brutal being the, the temp guy in these. There was, there was one company that they wouldn't even let me use the refrigerator. I had to eat my lunch out in the car. And it gets hot <laughs> in the car eating your lunch every single day. It is no fun being the outsider. There was a, another one where I worked. I was in a, it was a large cubicleized office. And so there were four people in these cubicles. And, and I was one of the uh, people in one of these cubicles. And these two ladies that were like the manager of the department, or I don't know what they were exactly, but the one lady just kept on talking about her new Audi. New Audi, new Audi, new Audi. The entire day was new Audi, you know. New Audi. I'm driving like a 1982 Mazda pickup truck with about 250,000 miles on. New Audi, new Audi. They wouldn't even let me use their Audi restroom. I had to walk two Two, two, uh, two buildings over just to use a restroom, Miss Audi. I know what it's like to be an outsider. I, I know, I, I know the, the challenges of being, and nobody wants that. If you, are, if you go to a Dodger game and you're a Giants fan, you're an outsider. You're going to get picked on. This is just a warning. That's just the way that it is. Outsiders get picked on. 
Nobody wants to be the outsider, but that is the reality for Christians. Is that as soon as we are aligned with Christ and are not aligned with culture, we instantly become the outsider. Maybe you can identify with that at work or with that at school or uh, that with your friends or that with your family. You're the outsider. And so the Bible then tells us how that happens. What's the process from being a part of the cultural ecosystem to disassimilating, to leaving it? How does that even work? Well, I want to show you how that works. It's a five-step process in the way that a person leaves the culture and becomes a part of another culture. And so we'll start with this statement. There are two ecosystems that exist in the world. Two ecosystems that oppose each other. And, you know, in any ecosystem, uh, plants and animals and people uh, thrive in different ways in different ecosystems. Like, let's, let's just take, um, let's take the desert, like Death Valley. That'll be one ecosystem. And then you have uh, the rainforest of the Pacific Northwest. So these are two very different ecosystems. Like the, the Joshua tree, you know the Joshua tree? It sends a root 36 feet down into the ground just to get enough water to be that ugly brown thing that you see on top, okay? <laughs> 36 feet just for that ugly thing, okay? And so then the trees in the Pacific Northwest, the, the water is right at the, right at the, right at the top. They, those trees don't need to send any roots down. That's why trees fall over all the time. A tree fell over, they don't care. There's a lot more trees to fall over. The trees don't care if they fall over. It's just the way that it is because of water. And so very different. So plants and animals develop differently in two ecosystems. And even human beings develop in different ecosystems, don't they? Desert people are very different kind of people than Pacific Northwest kind of people, you know? They're just different kinds of people because they're from two different ecosystems. Now try taking one of these trees from the Pacific Northwest that, you know, have no depth to their root system, very shallow root system because the water is right on the surface, and you take that and you plant it in the desert. What happens? The tree dies. You know how I know that? My neighbor tried to do that. There's just a brown pole sticking up out of his yard, and that's what I see is a brown pole that used to be a pine tree, but there's no water in Riverside, so it's dead, right? He tried to take something from one ecosystem and take it to another. Well, the Bible says that there are two spiritual ecosystems. There are two different ecosystems that, that are at play in uh, our world today. And the first one, John chapter 12 and John chapter 16, says that Satan is the ruler of one of these two ecosystems. He is the ruler of the cosmos, the ruler of the world. And in multiple places, it talks about how Satan is the one that rules this cosmos. It doesn't mean the, doesn't talking about the ball hanging in the universe. It's not talking about individual people, mankind. He's talking, the, the cosmos here, the world is the world system, the world's morality. And Satan is the ruler of one of these two ecosystems. But then there's another ecosystem. In John chapter 18, verse 36, Jesus says this, my kingdom is not of this cosmos. My kingdom is not of this realm. He's not a, my kingdom is not the one that you are living in today. This is Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' morals, a heavenly perspective, differently than the world's perspective or the earthly perspective that we have today. And these are the two ecosystems that are existing today. And 
And these two systems, they don't play well together. They, they, they don't meet for conferences and find points of agreement. They are mutually exclusive. If you are in one, you are not in the other. If you are in the other, you are not in the one. They do not mingle. They do not mix. Uh, they do not play well together. The, the world does not pray. The, the, Satan's culture does not celebrate the same things that God celebrates. God's kingdom celebrates righteousness. Our world's culture does not celebrate righteousness. What does our world celebrate? Our world celebrates evil. Two different worlds, two different ecosystems that exist. And that's where it all starts. But then the, the next part that you need to know that everyone starts out in the same place. Everyone starts out in the same ecosystem. Where it, what ecosystem? Between Satan's ecosystem, the world's ecosystem, and God's heavenly, perfect, righteous, holy ecosystem, of those two, where is everyone born into? Everyone is born into the world's ecosystem, Satan's ecosystem. I mean, who taught you to lie? What class did you take to lie? What, what class taught you to think bad thoughts about those people? Who taught you to do that? What, who taught you to look at that person with sexual ideas? Who taught you to do that? Nobody. It's because you were born into our world's culture. You were born in sin. That's the way it was from all the way from Genesis chapter 3. For every human on planet, we we're born in this sin. We we're born in Satan's ecosystem. We we're born with these perspectives. Everyone is born in the same place. That's what John 8.44 says. You are of your father, the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. Now, he's not saying that your dad, <laughs> your biological dad is Satan, all right? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that when you're born, you are born into this world's ecosystem that is headed by Satan, not God. No one is born into God's ecosystem just because their mom and dad are Christians, just because their mom and dad go to church, just because whatever. Everyone is born in the world's ecosystem, surrounded with sin. That's just the way that it is. Even if you're a really good person, even if uh, your parents took you to, to church every single day when you were a kid, you're still born in this ecosystem. Even if you're in church today, every person is born in this ecosystem. Not godly ecosystem, Satan's ecosystem. So there are two ecosystems, two cultures, and everyone is born into one of them. And then the Bible says that God chose to move us to his ecosystem. Look at verse 19 of John 15. That's where your Bible should still be sitting open. It says, if you were of the world... The world would love its own. But because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world. God chose to move, to move us from one ecosystem and plant us in another one. He's the one that chose to do it. It's like a, you know, the claw game at, uh, I don't know, wherever, the, like Chuck E. Cheese. You put like 16 bucks in and you're trying to get the 30 cent little thing in there. Mom, give me another dollar. I haven't gotten it yet. Oh, I missed it again. Another dollar, Mom. Missed it again. God doesn't miss. 
When he chooses you, he, he, he grabs you out of this ecosystem of the world and Satan's ecosystem. He shakes off all the dirtiness and he brings you over and he plants you in his righteousness, not in your own righteousness. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross that you can be cross-transplanted in another place it's because of Jesus Christ, not because of your own goodness, but because of Christ's goodness. And he transplants you because he chose to. Go up in your Bible just a few verses to verse 16 of that same chapter. John 15, verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You didn't choose God. God found you. You didn't seek after God. God sought after you. And he, he plucked you out of God's ecosystem and he moved you, in, he plucked you out of Satan's ecosystem and he moved you to God's ecosystem and planted you in a healthy way there. When the gospel was revealed to you and your heart was changed and you put your faith in Christ, he chose you out of this world to be in his world instead. And so the Bible uses various ways and phrases to describe that. Let me show you a few of them. 1 John 5, 19 says this. We know that we are of God and that the whole world, the cosmos, lies in the power of the evil one. Yeah, that's right. There are two ecosystems, God's and Satan's. And everyone is born into one of them and he takes us and moves us into the other one. But notice the dichotomy here. You have to pick one or the other. You can't pick both. It is either you and God or you and the world. You and God, you and God's culture, you and God's morals, or you and the world's culture and the world's morals. You can't have all three. It's one or the other. Here's another way that it is put in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, that's the Satan's ecosystem, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's a good word. Instead of the claw, they transfer. He transferred us from the world's ecosystem to God's ecosystem. It was a transfer that was only done because of his son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, pay, paying the way, paving the way for us to be transferred into God's heavenly kingdom. One more way that this is put in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, but may it never be that I would boast. Like, it wasn't me that claw gamed myself. <laughs> uh, I didn't put the dollar, from being inside, I didn't come climb out, put the dollar in, go back. I, I, didn't, I couldn't do that. It had to be someone from outside of me that did that. So I don't boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Notice that phrase. The world, the cosmos has been crucified to me. Th that's the old ecosystem. It's now me and God. And if it's me and God, who's on the outs? The culture. You can only pick two. You can't pick all three. That's just the way that it works. You can't have all three. It's either you and the world or you and God. And so there are two ecosystems. We are all born into one. God chose to, to transfer us to his new ecosystem in his grace. And so then we become the outsiders. It is in that moment where you are now outside of the world's ecosystem. You're outside of the world's culture. And so now there's this long passage that describes the differentiation between the two. It says this, do not love the world 
or anything, the things of the world. That's don't love the, the Satan's system. It's not talking about the planet and it's not talking about the people. It's talking about the world system, the world's morality. It goes on to say, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's one or the other, the culture or the Father. For all that is in the world, the lust of flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Notice what it says, that this other ecosystem, the world, the, Satan's ecosystem, the world is passing away and also it's lust, but it's not passing away fast enough, is it? And it's not gonna go down easy, is it? And that's right where we stand. It's going to pass away. And, and it says the one who does the will of God, the one who is transferred into his kingdom is definitely gonna live forever in eternal life. There is light at the end of the tunnel, but it's gonna get worse before it gets better. And so the Bible says that as God begins to change us in this new culture and in this new way, in this new ecosystem where there's life and it's green and it's not deserty anymore, that, that as our lives begin to change, the, 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 uh, the world that we are around begins to notice. And so that's what Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 talks about. It says, you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Yeah, you've been transferred, you've been clawed to and planted into this new world, but you still live in Riverside, you know? We're not in heaven. And so now the life that we have becomes so bright because we came from a dark place and we didn't know it before, but now that we are in Christ, now we are reflecting Christ's light and the world begins to notice how we're different. And they begin to notice that the message that we offer is different, so much so that Christians sometimes get hated for it. Well, another verse about that. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 2, it says, we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Okay, there's a lot, there's a lot there. But what this is saying is when a Christian is saved and their life becomes different, their life becomes a, like, like a, a it's confirming what their non-Christian's heart already knows. The Bible says that the law of God is eternity is already placed in, a, in every person's heart. Everyone knows the law of God. Everyone feels guilty for doing the wrong thing, right? And so when a Christian is living a right life and a Christian is declaring the gospel of Jesus, it makes the world, the other ecosystem, feel guilty because it's just agreeing or bearing witness with the conscience that they already have. And so because of that, you you sometimes are hated by non-Christians just because you're making them feel guilty. Like, I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> I just showed up to work on time. But to somebody else that is highlighting the fact that they are guilty before God. And so your life, now that you've been transplanted and you, be, you now become the outsider and, and it's not just spiritually speaking, it becomes real as your life becomes a cha change, your life becomes different than those people who are of the other ecosystem. It totally makes sense because Joshua trees grow different than the trees in the Pacific Northwest. And so the development is gonna be different and so you're gonna look different. And so you're the outsider. 
And so there are two ecosystems. Everyone is born into one of those uh, ecosystems. Everyone is. Then God chose to, to pluck us out. And so then we become the outsider and then we experience the repercussions that come from being the outsider. That's what missionaries around the world are experiencing. That's what Christians in, in churches, even in America, are experiencing, is experiencing the repercussions of being hated because we are the outsider. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 27 says this, and he who is upright in the way is abominable to the wicked. Yeah. It, that when you are doing the right, when you are living in this other world, the culture of of Satan and the culture of planet Earth hates that, abominable to those who are in this other world. So that's why Jesus says in verse 19, this is like the longest description of verse 19 you've ever heard in your life, but it's good, isn't it? In verse 19 it says, if you were of the world and you used to be of the world, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. And it did love you and there was a natural love there. But now the insinuation is, is, but now you're not of the world, and because of this, the world hates you. Because you are not in the, because you are an outsider, the number one reason why Christians should expect to have ill treatment from people who are not Christians is because you're an outsider. You are not of the culture. It can only be you and Christ, or it can be you and the culture. And as soon as you select Christ, then culture is the one that's on the outs. And so here's the process that it happens. If you like notes, this is the time to write down your notes. So here's the process. There are two ecosystems. Satan's and God's. Satan's and Christ's. Everyone is born into one of those. Everyone is not born into the kingdom of God, not because you're a, a, a really good person, not because your uh, parents are Christians. Everyone is born into the world's ecosystem. We are born in sin. And so then God chooses to move us, claw us to God's ecosystem, to Christ's kingdom, to a different morality than our world's morality. And so then we become the outsiders and then we experience the repercussions of all that goes on. And so all of this truth is just wrapped up in a visual like this where as soon as culture creates a different morality than God, the godly are on the outs. And this is why Christians could expect, could assume that our culture is going to treat us very differently than maybe they would other people groups, even other religions, is because of these things. So this is just kind of like a microcosm of the way the world thinks of Christians. We're the problem because we're not a part of it. We think differently than they do. They, 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 they believe this is the truth, but we believe that this is the truth. They accept certain things that we don't accept. We accept these things that the world doesn't accept. The world says certain things are right and we say, no, no, these other things are right. And so Christians are like <laughs> aliens <laughs> living among people who are of a different culture. And so that's at least the way that it should be. And so the application for Christians today is, is that the way that it is for you? Could your coworkers or your family members, the people who are not Christians yet, could they say, yeah, they identify with with God. Could, could, would they say that? Or if I was to interview them on the side, I'm going to call them all this afternoon. 
And what would they say about you? Would they say, oh, no, I, I didn't even really know he was a Christian. I, I, God is definitely on the outs for him because I don't know anything about God and him or her. Well, the Bible says that you can know for sure that you are plucked from one to the other, that you are transplanted. The Bible says that is simply by believing the gospel of Jesus, that God sent his son Jesus to earth, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave proving that he is God, providing forgiveness for our sins. And any person who believes that, who puts their faith and their trust in the Savior, to do that, they have the hope of eternity in heaven. And then hopefully, your life looks like this. And so if you're a Christian here today, this is the time for self-evaluation. You know, the Bible says, test yourselves to make sure you're in the faith. Yeah, this is, this is like self-reflection time. Am I really this way? And if not, why not? And you can deal with God on that. But maybe you do want to put your faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time today. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. Would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? This creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. If you know you're going to heaven, you just don't know the person next to you as well as God does at least. And so this is a moment where you can kind of just leave them alone by your own self-reflection here. And if you know that you need to be rescued from your own sin, if you need to be moved from the world system to God's system, the way you do that is change your mind about Jesus. You just talk to God about it. It's called prayer. You don't need to say anything out loud. You don't need to move anywhere. You don't need to raise your hand. God knows what's on your mind. He knows what's on your heart. You just talk to him. If you're not sure what to say, I'll help you. This is what you could say in your own mind to God. You could say, God, I know that I've sinned. I know I've done things I shouldn't have done. I I have thought things I shouldn't have thought. And I know that that separates me from you. I realize that there's an eternity in hell to pay for that sin. And I, in my own ability, cannot be good enough. I cannot save myself. I can't pluck myself out. And so I believe what that pastor says about Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin and I believe that three days later he rose from the grave proving that he is everything that he said he was in the Bible. And I believe that he can wash away my sin. I believe that he can forgive my sin. And so I put my faith, my trust, my belief in this Jesus. I put my eternity in his hands too for the future. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, many of you are already Christians, you already know you're going to heaven. This is a time of self-reflection. Do you reflect what we saw today? Do you reflect that you are living in a different ecosystem? Are you maturing and developing in a different way than you were before you were saved? If so, well, good. Continue to grow in that. If not, now's the time to ask your, ask your heavenly father for adjustments and he through the Holy Spirit will make changes in your life. And God, we thank you for this. God, we, we, pray, we praise you for what we've read today. Though these aren't necessarily things that we want to hear, it does help us understand the culture that we live in. And it helps us know the position that we are in. And we're thank you, we thank you so much for transferring us into a place where we didn't deserve. We praise you for it. That's why we're here today. We're, we're worshiping you. We've said these things to you. We've sung these things to you uh, simply because you have moved us into another place culture. And we praise you for it and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.